Welcome to Wild for Wildflowers, a podcast about wildflowers. I'm your host, Kelsey, and I'm here with your co-host, I'm Tanaya. And we have another wildflower to talk about. And this wildflower is very, very beautiful, in my personal opinion, and very unique. And it's called Columbine or Aqualasia flavescens. Ooh, that sounds pretty. Flavescens or something like that. Um, but that's the yellow Columbine. Um, there's a few Columbine that grow in the Rocky Mountains, but I chose this one because I've seen it. Yellow Columbine. Uh, this is a wildflower in the buttercup family on um, Ranunculaceae. And Columbine, it, another another common name for Columbine, <laughs> common name for Columbine is Granny's Bonnet. Which is really? Cute. I've never heard that. I know. I thought it was funny, so I like added it. Okay, but yeah, last time, last episode, we talked about the finium, and I mentioned how it's one of the only um, flowers with a spurred petal, Yeah. and then I was like, oh, we might do columbine, so I just decided to do it because it also has spurred petals, it has more than one spurred petal, which is really cool, um, but yeah, so this is one of my favorite wildflowers, it's probably in my top 10, I love it every time I see it, and I know it's pretty common in the Rocky Mountains, but I still don't see it, like, all the time, like some wildflowers. So, I think it's really special when I see it. But, yeah, so, there's the yellow columbine is the Aqualasia flavescens, but then there's another very common one called columbine Aqualasia corulia, which is um, the blue columbine, commonly known as blue columbine, which... You've probably seen before I think it's even more common than like the yellow one um and it's also it's Colorado's state flower so it's also mm -hmm. called co like Colorado columbine so people call it like Rocky Mountain columbine I've never seen them before. oh really yeah because like I don't normally see them in Montana um I always see pictures of them yeah but not very often um but yeah both of them are really pretty but I just I just chose that one um species there's over 100 species of columbine, and some some of them have been cultivated to be garden plants. So, like, you know, we sold them in the in the greenhouse. Um, they have a bunch of different, like, you can find red ones, white ones, all different colors. Um, but I think most of the natural ones are either red, yellow, or blue. But anyway, um, oh, red would be pretty. Yeah, easy. there's one that is. Okay, so yeah, there's like, I just wanted to name a few other of like the native columbine species, which um, there's one called Aqualasia Jones, Jonesii, which is Jones blue columbine, named after some Jones person. Um, <laughs> and then there's another blue columbine that has like really small flowers, and it's Aqualasia brevistyla. Hmm. Um, and then... The one, oh yeah, the one that has red flowers is Aqualasia formosa. Mm. Um, and that one's in my wildflower book, like a Plants of the Rocky Mountains. And it's so cool, but I've never seen it before in real life. So I'd love to. So, um, but yeah, so let's get into the flower. So this flower, I said, is unique. It's 
kind of hard to describe, but looking at a picture of it, you know, you, you might be able to understand what I'm talking about, but the flower is lemon yellow in color. And sometimes it looks like slightly pinkish. Some books say that they're yellow and pink, but whenever I've seen them, they look just yellow. So I think it just depends maybe on like the age of the flower. It might like turn pinkish at the end. Um, but it has a central, the podcast dogs, they're doing so good. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I think they're done yelling. So it's lemon yellow in color with a central tuft of stamens and styles that are surrounded by five spreading yellow sepals. So the sepals are like the ones that are growing back Back, yeah um and then the actual like petal the yellow so then there's five smaller yellow petals Mm -hmm. with slightly curved knob spurs at the end so that's like the the sepals are on the outside and then the petals are the inside parts that if you're looking directly at it they're like round and then it looks like a tube because that's the spur so it's so cool from like all angles because you can see like the different parts like, yeah. they're so long, and I just think, like, every time I see it, I'm like, wow, that's so cool looking. Um, but, yeah, so usually um, they're about five centimeters across, which is, like, two inches. So they're not small, super small, but they're not huge. They're pretty big. Um, but, yeah, so usually there's several flowers in a loose bunch on each plant. Like, there's a singular flower, but then if the plant's big enough, they'll be, like, several of them on one plant. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's like they they aren't on top of each other like lupine right. or something. They're right. separate, but they're on the same plant. Mm-hmm. Um, And then, so, oh, their inflorescence, which is what I was trying to describe. It's an open leafy bract racine. So that's what it's called. I mean, just, I don't know if that made any sense. Describing it. Oh, yeah. And so they bloom from June to August. I've seen them, yeah, probably, like, not, you probably wouldn't see them, see them, like, in early September, but I bet, like, pretty much all of August, you could still see them, because sometimes one plant will bloom, one flower, and then it'll keep blooming and having new blooms, um, but yeah, so they're about 8 to 30 inches tall, um, some bigger plants will, like, branch out a lot more, and, like, the alpine plants that you see way up high, higher elevation will, a lot of times it'll just be like one stem with a single flower on it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are nodding. It's like the stem goes up and then it curves over like a cane and then uh, they're like falling, right. like their head is down. Right, right. Like it's usually. So it's like they're nodding down. Yeah. And it's usually like facing down when you see it. So you yeah. have to kind of like pick up the flower to look yeah. at it. Yeah. But so they're, so I was going to talk about the leaves really quick. So they're two to three times divided. Um, into three. So each time it's divided, they have like three loops, like one, two, three, like a little hand or something. Um, okay. And then they're usually, um, glaucous, which means that they're blue to white. They kind of have like a blue to whitish cast on them. What does? Their leaves. Oh, their leaves? Mm -hmm. What? It's, um, well, that's what it says. So, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. So, the fruits, um, they're me- many-seeded and aggregate of follicles. 
So an erect cluster of five, so erect is just upright, an upright cluster of five slender pods. So the slender pods is what, that's a follicle. So that's okay. just what it's called in the plant world. So it's this five slender pods because that's like the five, well, the five um, petals kind of, like it just comes mm-hmm. in five. Um, but it splits, so it, they split open along the inner side and then there's the glandular hairs that are just like super, like two millimeters long with spreading tips. So they're pretty small, but you can see them like when they go to bloom and they burst open, it's kind of like fireweed. Like you can see the little seeds like okay. sticking out. Yeah. They're a little bit, um, yeah, they, they're probably wind dispersed so they can catch the wind. Um, which is cool because we haven't talked about follicles before. Um, yeah, it's a very, it's a unique plant. Um, and then, so their habitat is moist soil of meadows, open forests, often along streams and on cool rocky slopes, montane to lower alpine. Um, so I've always seen them like right next to a creek. That's usually where I see them. Um, they can be in yeah. some brighter spots, but they do like a lot of moisture. Yeah, that's what I've seen. Them yeah, too. they're usually like, like in marshes. Yeah, marsh by the yep. Um, you can see them sometimes other places, but usually not. And then they grow from British Columbia to Alberta and then south down to Oregon, Utah, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Washington, all of like the Rocky Mountains um in the West. Okay, so then I was going to do a Latin lesson. Oh yeah. As we do. The common name Columbine. Oh, cool. And put in a, like a little, like a really cool sound effect for the Latin lesson. Latin lesson time. The common name Columbine is Latin for Columbinia, which means dove-like because the spreading tepals and steeples and arches of the spurs were thought to resemble a circle of five doves drinking from a central dish. What the? Okay. Do you see it? Oops. Do you see the doves, though? No. Do you see them? Oh, because, you know, when we were talking about delphinium and how it looks like a dolphin, and oh, I was like, yeah. I don't think it does. But then I was showing people at work. And one of my coworkers was like, oh, I see it. It's like the nose is oh, their spur. Okay. And then, then like, it's just their head, basically. Right. And I was like, oh, I see it now. But I still wouldn't have thought that. Do you see the doves? I don't see the doves, no. But maybe I'm just not using my imagination. You need no. to, like, hold it far away and squint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. But then, um... The Latin name Aquilasia also comes from a di- different Latin word called Aquila, which means eagle. And it's probably referring to the spurs that come out that look like eagle's talons. Just like how, kind of how they're talking about like delphinium looking like mm-hmm. a spur of a bird. I, mean, I see the eagle talons more than the doves drinking from a central dish or whatever. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. It's a little weird, I think. Um... Oh, yeah, so we're going to do another fun thing about toxicity of this plant because Columbine is... 
Um, so in Europe, when these plants were used medicinally, they were, they were like, I don't know exactly what they tried to use them medicinally. I didn't look a lot into it, but the children would sometimes die from overdoses of the seeds. Oh, geez. So they were like, here, eat this. This will help you. And then they died. Um, but some tribes, <laughs> dead, chil- dead children, uh, some tribes rubbed columbine seeds in their hair to control lice. Oh. So that's so, like, you should not be consuming something that kill will kill lice. Yeah. Which is, it's very interesting, though, um, yeah. that they figured that out. Seriously. So all columbine are slightly poisonous, especially the seeds and the roots. So I guess, like, the roots have been placed on the skin, and that actually causes, like, perspiration. So I guess if you're, like, trying to, like, detox or something, it might be helpful. I don't know. Hmm. Um, Interesting. but yeah, so the plant contains cardiogenic toxins. So basically arising from the heart that can cause heart palpitations, gastrointestinal inflammation of the stomach and intestine. Consuming large amounts of this plant can cause convulsions, breathing problems, and heart weakness. So, so pretty not, much it's only good for controlling life. Yeah, it's not great <laughs> for eating. No. Unless you want to die. Then it's great for that. Um, okay, so I have learned, I think what I've learned is that from this podcast, I learned maybe something, and it's that <laughs> <laughs> most, if not all of the plants in the Ranunculaceae buttercup family are toxic to some extent, because every single one we've covered yeah, we is toxic. Yeah. Like Delphinium. That is interesting. And the buttercup causes, like, lots of stomach issues. Yeah. So, yeah. So that is interesting. I just realized that. Um, well, yeah. you realized it last time. I did realize it last time. And then I talked. Yeah. Um. So, anyway, <laughs> that's the flower. But then I have a pollinator of the episode. Columbine attracts long-tongued pollinators, so like hummingbirds and butterflies, because they are able to reach the nectar at the end of the plant's long spurs, because that's what they are. They're just like delphinium. It's like a nectary, and it causes um, plants, or I mean insects, pollinators, mostly insects, um, and also hummingbirds to, to attract them to that plant, so then they'll pollinate it. So anyway, they need they need a pollinator that has a long tongue. So I decided to do the hawk moth because they are a pollinator of columbine. And the hawk moth is so cool. Um, so it's also known as the Sphingidae. Um, Sphingidae genus, um, the family of moths, like also called Sphingidae. I don't know if that's how you say it at all, but i'm saying something that i probably not how you say it but um it's also called the sphinx moths or hummingbird moths because that's what i always knew them as sphinx sphinx moths a what (laughs) sphinx sphinx moth okay (laughs) i thought you were joking and you're like what 
Sphinx, like S yeah, I N X. New word. It sounded like it was like one word that was very small. small. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. okay, so I always knew them as hummingbird moths. That's what I used to see them sometimes in yeah. um, the greenhouse. But so they're really big, and some of them pollinate flowers by like hovering in midair. So they're like like beating their right. wings and just like Pew, going in. So people often mistake them for hummingbirds because they're right. so big and yeah. they think that they're a hummingbird. Um, so yeah, their ability to hover is actually quite rare. Like it has only been seen four times in evolutionary history for nectar feeders. So most nectar feeders do not do that. Oh, okay. The okay. only ones who do are hummingbirds, certain bats, hoverflies, which makes sense. Those little hover the flies are like, oh, yeah. sitting there. And then hawk moths. So I didn't realize that that, which makes sense. It's like not very common. They're usually like in and out or they're moving around. They don't just hover. Yeah, seriously. Um, but yeah, so they, hawk moths have been known for their flying abilities, especially their ability to move quickly from side to side while in the air. So they can also like maneuver really fast. Um, and this is thought to have evolved to avoid ambush predators that lie and wait in flowers. Ooh. So they're just like looking back, and then they can. Do you think they can get a, a hummingbird moth? I mean, if they're really fast and like really a sneaky, big spiders. Oh my god, creepy! I don't know why that's like like a huge spider because they're like big moths. Um. Oh yeah. So. I don't know what hawk moths' biggest predators are, but I did look up some YouTube videos of the hawk moths flying around, and they're so cool looking, so you should definitely look out a picture, and they'll post some pictures on, you or on, what's that thing called? Instagram. Okay. <laughs> what's, that? <laughs> what's that thing called? Okay, I got confused for a second. I was like, wait, is a hawk moth different? But no, it's a hawk moth, or a pink moth, or a hummingbird moth. Yes, they're okay. all, like, okay. just the same name. Sorry. So I've just been saying hawk moths, but I, yeah, um, but yeah, hawk moths have a very a very long proboscis, so like their feeding tube, their tongue. Um, it's by very long. I mean, some species can get up to thirteen inches long. That's how long their freaking proboscis. Like more than a foot. That's huge. Obviously. That's a little more than a foot, you guys. <laughs> Isn't that just like curls up inside the little mouths? No. Oh my god, that's crazy. I love insects. I want to know all about them. Um, well, not everything. You've been thinking about that book. I know. That book's going to come in handy. Oh, I should see if they have stuff on the hawk. Um, but yeah, so they definitely have a long enough proboscis to pollinate and get nectar from the columbine flower because they're not even that long. Um, oh yeah, so these guys, these hawk moths, can have a wingspan up to four inches. And they're actually quite fast. And moving at... That's a pretty big wingspan. Five, they move at 5.3 meters per second. And I don't know, I don't know what that, that means what at that all. Means. <laughs> but I guess it's fast. Um, sounds pretty fast. Sounds pretty fast. And then one last fact about these moths. They're really pretty. They're so pretty. They have like almost like pink on them. Yeah. Um, And their bodies are like so thick. Yeah. But yeah, okay, so I think 
most of the time they feed they're crepuscular so they only they feed um at dusk and dawn usually so when i've seen them in the greenhouse they were always it's like always during the day and they're just like sitting on the plant like i think they were i think they were resting yeah and they have like really cute little faces Mm, oh my gosh yeah like when you see their wings together it just looks like so perfect their patterning and yeah yeah you have to look at a picture because they're really pretty yes um but yeah one last fact about the hawk moth is that both males and females um are relatively long-lived guess how long they live guess how long relatively long life is for a hawk moth a day two days 10 to 30 days. Oh, that's pretty long. But for some reason, I was like, what? That's so short. But I guess for an insect, that's insects, not yeah, at all. Yeah, some flies that live like a day. Yeah, that's true. So that's pretty cool. They can live for like almost a month sometimes. Um, Yeah. Long life. It's a long life for a little, well, a big, big old moth. Um. Oh, well, some, I said some are crepuscular and some are also nocturnal. So... They're not all nocturnal is the point I had. Um, yeah, so I love Columbine. I think it's beautiful. It just, like, makes me really happy every time I see it. But what do you think about Columbine, Sam? I really like Columbine. Do you like the blue one or the yellow one better? I've never seen the blue one in real life, so I guess I like the yellow one. Yeah, that's how I am, I think. Because I'm, like, used to the yellow ones. Really, I, I just think it's such a pretty color, too. And it's, it's just beautiful. Um, yes. So that brings us to the end. Um, so how do you, where do you write the Columbine on your list? Oh, I wish I had my list with me, but I think, I think it's about like number five or six. It's really close up there. Like, yeah, that's pretty up I like it a lot. It makes me very happy. And it also presses really well because its petals are so small. Because sometimes I press them to keep them forever. Um, and you can see the color still too. Like the color stays really well. Um, yeah, I just, I think they're so cool. And I love how they have this bird petals. Um, and I'm like, I've seen a couple of people who have like Columbine tattoos and it's always so disappointing because it's so hard to capture, like, depth mm-hmm. for most tattoo artists. Like, I'm sure. And so a lot of times it just, like, you can't even tell what it is because you have to see, like, what makes it unique are those spurs and they're, like, hollow. So it's, like, really hard to, like, oh, yeah. make that on your skin. Because I was like, I would like to have a tattoo of a Columbine, maybe. But I think not. Um, okay, so thanks for listening. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. You should to see the pictures um, that go along with the podcast at wild for wildflowers pod. Um, and you can email us at wild for wild for wildflowers pod at gmail.com. And tell a friend if you like the show. Um, what do we say at the end, Tanea? Get outside and smell the wildflowers. Okay, bye. Bye.